0: When you look at 2020, it is hard to ignore the fact that at this time when we have access to more information than ever, we are more divided than ever.
1: Welcome back to another edition of the Good and Grounded podcast, a project that was born out of the global pandemic and our interest in shedding some light on where the biggest needs exist in our Colorado communities And of course, what you and I can do is engage community members to make a difference in those communities. Uh, We do like to end every episode with one cool thing, so stay tuned for that that may have happened in our community recently. I'm Jim Licko.
2: And I'm Laura Love. Today's guest is one of my favorites. and She has a long and pretty engaged background with our Denver community. She served as a communications director for the budding geologist-turned-craft brewer-turned-mayor, who we now call Senator Hickenlooper. And after working as a senior advisor and communications director in the then mayor's office for seven years, she was hired to run the Civic Center Conservancy, where she became even more immersed in the fabric of Denver. And then, because she's so amazing, after a national search, she was um, appointed president and CEO of Rose Community Foundation, where she continues that really meaningful work today. So I could probably stay here for hours and hours and hours talking about her accomplishments, but I'm going to guess what keeps her grounded, especially during a year like this, is being a mom to both a young, I'm going to say preschooler, kindergartner, and a newly minted teenager at the same time. Welcome to this show, Lindy. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So are they, tell me your kids, are they 14 and is it 5? 14 and
0: five. So kindergarten and eighth grade. It's been interesting to have one foot in kind of both age demographics that have been so impacted by stay at home rules around COVID.
1: And you probably have you probably have ships passing in the night where one's acting up and one's being halfway normal and then the other is flipping in the next day, I'm sure.
2: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You you are an incredible leader in your own right, and just watching your career through the years has been a lot of fun. And I'm super impressed with what you, you have created for yourself and for our community. And I also know that you had pretty big shoes to fill when you took this role. And, sheila had she had run the rose community foundation since what 1998 she'd been there was it almost
0: she'd been there like 18 years Mm -hmm.
2: i have to ask if she was sitting across from you right now i have to imagine she'd be so proud of how you handled this past year and is there anything you would say to her if she was sitting across from you right now
0: (laughs) you know i i'm so grateful that i knew sheila um and and had great respect um for her and it's funny, after I was hired, um, one of my colleagues said to me, Sheila talked about you over the years for various opportunities that came up at the foundation. Um, so I, I, there was just an alignment and a kismet there that, that really I've warmed my heart. Um, I have an article, she and I, how I first met Sheila, she and I were both featured um, in an issue of the Mountain Jewish News at the same time, and this was many, many years ago. And so, I, because of that, I have the article, and, and so I reread it from time to time, and I can hear her voice. Um, you know, I think so many of the things we are dealing with today are, are, you know, she would have never imagined, like, how could you? But our ongoing commitment to the core values and letting those values anchor and drive our work that she would totally support and get. And that was, that was a priority for her too.
2: Well, I'm sure she is grinning from ear to ear somewhere watching all that you have done.
1: I was just going to say you've certainly flexed that muscle probably more than you intended to over the past 12 months of being able to to adapt and um, be open to change. So my first question, just to provide a little bit of context about the Rose Community Foundation for those who might not be as familiar with the foundation, maybe give us a quick overview of um, where Rose Community Foundation came from and what you focus on and who you serve here in the Denver community.
0: Absolutely. Um, Our origin story is so important to us and so core to who we are um, that it's a story that personally I love 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 to tell. So post World War Two. Um, Jewish doctors were returning to Denver and finding it impossible to get hospital privileges because of anti-Semitism. And this is a story we saw in many cities across the country. And the Jewish community in Denver came together and built what we know today as Rose Medical Center. And the idea was to not only hire doc- Jewish doctors, but, but, Doctors, regardless of race or creed, in fact, the first black physician in Denver to receive hospital privileges, Dr. Noel, um, also was employed by Rose for many, many years. Um, And the idea was also to serve the entire community and all of its diversity with excellence of care. So Rose Medical Center became a beloved institution, synonymous with not only excellence and care, but really non-discrimination, inclusion, generosity. And fast forward to the mid 1990s, standalone nonprofit hospitals all over the country were being purchased by larger for-profit hospital corporations. So the board and the founders of Rose Medical Center really saw an opportunity. They could sell the hospital um, and preserve this beloved and important medical asset for the community, but also simultaneously create a perpetual philanthropic asset. And so we are what is known as a hospital conversion foundation. We were created from the proceeds of that sale in 1995. Now the interesting thing is there's a lot of hospital conversion foundations in Denver we're the only one that kept the name of the hospital, which, to be honest, creates a lot of confusion for people. I'm often asked, oh, you must know my husband. He's a cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, and, and and so to be clear, we are completely separate and independent from Rose Medical Center, but we share um, important values.
1: That that's awesome. And one of the things that we've talked about, I think, on almost every episode of Good and Granted that we've done so far is kind of the silver linings in a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad year. <laughs> um, and and I think that, you know, w- one of them that I keep hearing over and over when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, we talk about racial justice, we talk about s- systemic racism Um is the fact that it got sort of put into hyperdrive, right? The, the, it, 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 everything sped up. We we, ha- we started having more meaningful conversations. We started listening more. We started um, bringing these things to the forefront. And I think, uh, in a lot of ways, that's what COVID nineteen has done is is help people speed up and address things more quickly. And one of those things on on your end at, at the foundation is standing up this COVID nineteen respond fund. Um, and probably something that I'm sure seems like eons ago, but but also happened over the course of what was probably, you know, weeks, if not days, where 100 percent of the, the donated funds for that respond fund go directly to nonprofits that are addressing needs related to the pandemic. Tell us about some of the grants you've been able to award through this new fund. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious what it was like standing that up so quickly when, you know, you've got all these other things you're focusing on and it's like, let's pivot and make something happen
0: you know, the best laid plans. <laughs> so we, we unveiled our new strategic plan in January and we intended to spend at least half of the year, if not more, really operationalizing it, building out the frameworks. And then suddenly, mid-March, everything is shutting down. And so, I, you know, I am so grateful to our board for understanding the urgency. Um, and we went to them and said, listen, we. This isn't the time for us to be focusing on our internal reorganization. The community needs us, and and needs everyone, in philanthropy, whether institutional or or individual donors. Um, and so we committed pretty early on to commit the 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 bulk of the rest of the year of dollars um, to COVID, and we knew that would be multi phased and multifaceted. And thanks to our strategic plan, we we brought the lens of equity and justice into into our grant making, um, and you know we had significant dollars to bear, but we also knew they would not be enough, and so we invited donors to join us um, as well through the Respond Fund. So altogether, we made probably close to twelve million dollars in grants the majority of which went to COVID, and um, a little less than a million or so came from the Respond Fund. We really focused on what populations have been most disparately impacted, whether by the medical um, aspects of COVID or the economic aspects of COVID. And you know, it's interesting, some of those populations are, are obvious. Right. Um, Food insecure, medically vulnerable, older adults. But then, you know, you got to dig a little deeper and suddenly everybody's at home. Um, Not everyone is safe at home. And so the domestically at risk became a priority population. Right. Suddenly all these kids are forced into remote learning. Um, Not everyone has the technology at home to do that. And so, you know, there were so many different facets to COVID, but we really tried to stay true to, you know, equity, what populations are most impacted, what populations are farthest from opportunity. Um, And, you know, we did three rounds of grant making and, you know, we had hoped at the beginning of the year, like, well, first we'll focus on, you know, emergency response and containment prevention. And then we'll move to more impact mitigation. And then by the end of the year, we'll be in recovery and resiliency. Well, you know, the virus didn't um, function quite that on that time horizon or in that linear of a matter a manner. So what's astounding is the end of, of the year, we were still the basic needs, food insecurity. I mean, we're, we're growing. So we weren't out of that first phase yet, um, entirely, but now, you know, obviously COVID hasn't gone away. So it remains a focus. Our fund remains available for people who want to support this grant making, um, in the year ahead, but we're starting to move to conversations. Um, or we, we've been in conversations about vaccine equity, um, so we now we're kind of doing both, right, recovery and resiliency, but still managing the basic needs crisis that um, has erupted from, from all of the displacement of, of this pandemic.
1: Um, I think it was later in the year in 2020, maybe December, I, I came across an op-ed that you had co-authored um, talking about the importance of peer-to-peer conversation and a trustworthy local news presence. Um, the foundation supporting this new initiative called the Colorado Media Project, which, you know, I think all three of us are former journalists. And so we all find extreme value in in, in that topic. Um, Tell us about the new strategic plan and how something like this uh, funding or or co-funding the Colorado Media Project, supporting that project kind of play hand in hand.
0: When you look at 2020, whether you're talking about COVID or racial justice or the election cycle, um, it is hard to ignore the fact that at this time when we have access to more information than ever, we are more divided than ever. And there has been this assault on truth and facts, and we're all self selecting our media sources to reinforce our pre existing biases. This is not sustainable. It is not good or healthy for democracy. And so when we talk about one of our goals being an inclusive and engaged Greater Denver, we think having a a healthy and strong and vibrant local journalism ecosystem is critical. It's critical to having an informed citizenry. It is critical to having a functioning democracy. Um, And, you know, during this era where there's there's been an assault on media, local news remains a largely trusted universally source. But local news has been under assault from economic pressures for quite a while now. We remember the Rocky Mountain News. May it rest in peace. You know, we remember a Denver Post that looked very different than it does today. And not to mention smaller community newspapers, family-owned newspapers, um, small radio stations—you know, you name it—that are critical to informing and engaging our citizens. And so, really, the Colorado Media Project seeks to support and bolster and strengthen the local news ecosystem.
2: Can you imagine if you were on that side instead of where you are and you were a journalist today? And we're asking
0: journalists to be entrepreneurs now. And they're starting new online publications with all with different business models, and they're having to be fundraisers. it's It's a very different skill set. And so this the Colorado Media Project is, you know, a partnership of, of various funders, um, really launched by Gates Family Foundation, um, has a lot of national funding partners as well um, that is really working to strengthen. The ecosystem, and we, at Rose Community Foundation, are honored to be the fiscal sponsor um, for the Colorado Media Project. Um, the bottom line is, local news is a public good, um, and yet, unlike other public goods that are funded by taxes, etc., um, there isn't a, a sustainable funding stream, and the funding streams have been very disrupted. So how does philanthropy and us as individual consumers of media step in to ensure that we continue to have high quality, robust local news, the sunlight that we know is needed for government and all aspects of our society to function and our democracy to be protected. So it's not a partisan issue. Um, it is a democracy issue. Um, and we're, we're really excited about the collaborations that are happening and, and where it may go.
2: Are there ways that if somebody's listening to this and they want to be a part of this movement and this effort, as you mentioned, it's bipartisan, how, how do they get involved in that piece of it?
0: You can certainly donate to Colorado Media Project through Rose Community Foundation. You can also donate directly to um, CoLab, the Colorado News Collaborative, which is an outgrowth of the Colorado Media Project. Um, it's really a growing collaborative effort um, and, and very much led by um, journalists and, and the, the media community, um, because that's, of course, who needs to lead it.
2: So outside of the Colorado Media Project, just thinking about people that are listening and want to take action, because that's really what this podcast is designed to do, is how do I do more good in our community? But I don't really know where to start. Absolutely. So outside of that, what would what is the greatest need that you're seeing, and how can people get involved? You can
0: absolutely donate your time. You can volunteer. That is absolutely needed. And there are organizations like Spark the Change Colorado that can help. Connect you. And for us, we have pooled funds around COVID response, around racial justice. Uh, We even have a fund for Jewish nonprofit resiliency. Um, So, you know, one way is to support a pooled fund and know those dollars will be deployed strategically. Um, Another is to directly give to organizations. And so if you go to the Rose Community Foundation website, you're going to find so many lists of who our grantees have been and links to their websites and descriptions. And I would say if you care about a vibrant small business ecosystem, there are organizations you can support. If you care about having a vibrant arts and culture scene, give to those organizations. Find what matters to you. Um, and, and let your dollars do the talking. I'm grateful that I came into an organization where the board was ready to take a fresh look at things um, and really honor the past, but realize we needed to adapt to what the community needed from us today and many years into the future. And we're really excited about new energy and new ideas and new partners and, and what the future holds as we build on to that legacy.
1: Um, thank you for for your leadership in our community. Um, thanks for all, all that you've done to to adapt and, and adjust to what's going on in our community over the past 10, 12 months. And certainly we appreciate your time on the podcast today. Thanks so much
2: for having me. So in the spirit of talking about community service and giving back, one cool thing that our family was able to experience this past year was volunteering for an organization called Food for Thought Denver. If you don't know it, I highly encourage you to look it up, foodforthoughtdenver.org. And if you, your family, your coworkers are looking for a way to get involved and help feed some kiddos in our Denver community, You can volunteer every Friday morning at 7 a.m. rain or shine. It's an amazing organization.
1: So cool. And there's so many good ways like that to give back shameless plug here if you're listening for the first time go back and listen to the last two minutes of each of our episodes because we always give you one cool thing or a way that you know each of our guests has given us ideas for for easy low barrier of entry ways to get back to the community um if you like what you heard uh go find us on itunes or apple podcasts or wherever you listen you can go to goodandgrounded.com to learn more about our podcast here and um share it with your friends subscribe let's do some good in our colorado communities
2: Thank you.